Good morning. Uh, I am Kylie. I am um, one of your new co-lead pastors, my husband and I. The last time we were here, a couple of weeks ago, uh, you guys elected us, so thank you for your confidence. Um, also, I'm sorry. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. No, we love you guys so much, and we're so grateful for um, just the, the support that you guys have shown us, the kindness, um, the love that you've already poured out onto us. Uh, we feel so blessed um, to be called your pastors, and we thank you for your prayers in this tumultuous season of our lives as we are trying to sell one house and trying to either rent or buy another. Um, anybody that's done that before understands that it is a complicated process, and we're just in this season where we need God to come through, and God just needs to do a miracle, and we really believe that um, if he's led us out here, then, then he will do just that, and so we thank you for your prayers for us and for your patience with us as well as we navigate this transition. Um, I'm just going to jump right into our text this morning. It is uh, Jeremiah 31, 27 through 34. I also, before I jump into this, want to say a big thank you to our friend Joy. Dr. Joy Qualls was with you last week and shared from uh, one of the Psalms, and she's going to be back next week in our absence to share uh, from a passage in Joel chapter 2. And then uh, for the two weeks after that, Josh will be back with you guys. And so we are so grateful for friends that we have in the area who can um, step in for us in our absence. So our text this morning is Jeremiah 31, 27 through 34. And I'm going to be honest with you. I tried to not preach this passage this week. I really tried to get away from it. Um, because as I read it, so what we're doing this month is we are preaching from the lectionary, which is kind of a, a compilation of scriptures that are put together in a systematic fashion so that in about three years time there's a there's year a year b year c in about three years time you preach through and, and, and go through the entirety of the bible so this week's passage um or this week's list of passages included this passage from jeremiah 31 um a passage from first timothy 4 i think which is the one that i really tried uh, to, um, to bring with me this week a couple of psalms and then another Old Testament and, and New Testament passage. The reason that I really try to get away from this passage is because there is so much history and context to unpack in a very short amount of time. And, um, and it's complicated history. It's complicated context. It's not just kind of painting a, an overall picture, but there's a lot to unpack here. And so I had decided I'm going to speak from 1 Timothy chapter 4. And as I really began to study and read and prepare, I just really felt this tugging. Um, I just really felt the Lord saying, no, you're, no, you're not. This is, this is what I want you to speak from. This is what it, so it just, it really chased me down. And um, But I feel like the Lord's got several really um, profound things to share with us through this passage today. And so let's go ahead and jump in. Jeremiah 31, 7 through 24. I don't have notes. Or I don't have slides uh, this morning. I apologize. It's difficult to prepare slides and travel across the country with a 10-month-old. So um, you can read along with your Bible apps uh, or your Bible, your actual Bibles if you have them this morning, but I will read it as well. Verse 27 begins, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will plant the kingdoms of Israel and Judah with the offspring of people and of animals. Just as I watched over them to uproot and tear down, and to overthrow, destroy, and bring disaster, so I will watch over them to build and to plant, declares the Lord. 
in those days, people will no longer say, the parents have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. Instead, everyone will die for their own sin. Whoever eats sour grapes, their own teeth will be set on edge. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with, my, with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. You can see why I tried to get away with not speaking on this today. So let's unpack some of the history behind this passage just a little bit. Jeremiah is called to be a prophet during the reign of King Josiah. But hundreds of years before that, Israel had begged God for a king. Joy talked a little bit about this last week. They saw the security and the relative stability of the nations that were around them. And for a people that was largely nomadic and for whom resources were really scarce, the temptation to have the kind of stability that they thought, a king to, uh, that, they thought that a king could give them, what they saw around them, that temptation was pretty strong. So they begged God for a king. They demanded a king. And finally, God in his grace said, all right, I'll give you a king. And what followed was hundreds of years of just varying degrees of instability and war for the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. And there were times of peace. But more often than not, there were times of scarcity, of war, of exile, and of destruction for God's people. And what we see at the onset of Jeremiah's ministry is the beginning of the end of the kingdom of Judah, which is the southern kingdom of Israel. King after king dies or is killed in battle or is dethroned by someone more powerful, be it another king or someone who wants to be king. And Judah becomes just this pawn in the international political scene. And all of Israel, northern and southern kingdoms, have king after king, all who were unable to bring them the stability and the peace that they so longed for. So enter King Josiah in the sixth, um, fifth or sixth century BC. Josiah becomes a king at a very young age. He is crowned king, I think he's like eight years old or something. I can't remember the exact age, but it's very young. But Josiah loved God, and he sought to follow God's decrees during his reign. He succeeds Amon as king during a time of extreme political and social unrest. And he's able for the first time in many, many years to bring some relative peace and stability to Judah. And finally, the people of Judah catch a break. They can see a future. They can breathe for the first time in a long time. They can let their hair down. They begin to hope and dream again about what might be ahead. They can rest for the first time in a really long time, knowing that there is peace in their kingdom. But during an ongoing battle between the Babylonians and the Assyrians and the Egyptians, at the time the Assyrians and the Egyptians have a, have a um, political coalition, Israel makes a grave tactical error when Josiah tries to intercept the Egyptian forces and he is slain at a place called Megiddo. And with him dies the dreams of the people 
and the hope of a fruitful and stable kingdom. What follows is more destruction, the inevitable end of the kingdom of Judah. Several other kings ascend to the throne in rapid succession, and Judah is once again at the mercy of the surrounding kingdoms, and people are slaughtered. Their temple and the royal palace are destroyed along with the walls of their city, and the kingdom and its people lie completely in ruins. Most of us in our lifetimes have never and will never, God willing, see such devastation as the people of Judah experienced in Jeremiah's time in this period. So a natural response in times of suffering like this is to ask why. Why is this happening? We're good people. Why is this happening to us? Earlier in his ministry, God speaks through Jeremiah in chapter 10, when he says to the people of Israel, you have exchanged your glorious God for worthless idols. Israel had abandoned God, and the people were tempted by the illusion of security and stability of the kingdoms around them, and so they decided to trust in people who had no power to bring them the security that they so longed for. So this is where Israel is. They've exchanged God, their almighty, glorious God, for worthless idols. And it just so happens that their, their present idol has been this idea of a king that can bring them victory, that can bring them stability, that can bring them security. And yet they find themselves in just complete ruin. Yet our passage this morning begins with several promises. The first one says, The days are coming when I will plant the kingdoms of Israel and Judah with the offspring of people and animals. So just as God had planted the Garden of Eden and he created men and women and animals out of the earth, he's now promising to Israel to restore, that he will restore all that has been lost. And just as God watches over the people in times of disaster, he says, So I will watch over them to build and to plant. And what he's doing right now is God is painting an image of the people of Israel about their future. He's saying your future is going to be full of all of the abundance and the stability that you have always longed for. And it's just like him to show up in all of the middle of your calamity when you literally have nothing. You're in the lowest and the darkest moment of your life. And God shows up and he says, this isn't the end. There is a future for you, and this is what it's going to look like. A future of building and planting was music to the ears of a people that lived in an, in an agrarian world. Agriculture was everything, and it meant for them life and prosperity. So this promise of building and planting something for the future was a great promise for the people of Israel. And this is followed by another promise. God says, in those days, people will no longer say, the parents have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. Instead, whoever eats sour grapes, their own teeth will be set on edge and everyone will die for their own sins. So this phrase, the parents have eaten sour grapes in Jeremiah's time, is a really popular saying and it connoted the idea of corporate responsibility for the sins of previous generations. It's kind of like saying that the closest thing that I could think that we have um, the idea that we have for this in our culture is like saying the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. You know, old Joe over here is from Bill over here, and I mean, he had no hope. And, but it, 
in the sense that people inherit the previous generation's sins. But even this really falls short because it denotes um, or describes as passive inheritance of the shortcomings of our mothers and fathers. But God is telling the people of Israel here, he's giving them a promise, and he's saying, no longer will children suffer the consequences of their parents' sins. You will only be responsible for your own actions. This was a big mental shift for the people of Israel. And finally, our passage ends with the promise of a new covenant. We can see covenantal language in the scriptures all the way back to the fall of mankind after Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. And God is constantly throughout scripture over and over again reestablishing his covenant to redeem and to restore his creation throughout all of history. His promise here is to put the law in their minds, put God's law in their minds and write it on their hearts. This promise is unique and that for the first time, God is saying, my covenant with you is not just an external promise, but it's going to be internalized within you. You have to do nothing to receive it. My guarantee to recreate, reestablish, and restore you as a people and as a group, as a nation, is as internal and sure to you as, as your heart beats within you. And to top it off, I will choose to forever forget your sin and your wickedness. These words were life and hope to this people who survived the invasion of their nation and who lied in complete ruins. They offered hope. These words offered hope and they nourished souls at a time when God's people were most desperate and when they were most hopeless. And these promises, while they were written thousands of years ago to a people of a very different culture and time, they nourish our souls as well. So what is God speaking to us through this passage today? I really believe that the answer to that lies in verse 28 at the beginning of this passage. It says, Just as I watched over them to uproot and tear down, to overthrow, destroy, and bring disaster, so I will watch over them to build and to plant. God didn't cause the destruction that Israel experienced. In fact, it says that he watched over them in their, um, as they suffered, he watched over them as they suffered the consequences of their sins. And to boot, he comes to them in the middle of their pain when they'd completely given up hope of a future. And what does he do? He paints a picture to them about their future in the form of a promise. Because in the darkest and in the most unimaginably difficult seasons, God is always standing there with a promise. Josh and I really believe that God is leading Dwell Church into a season of building and planting. And as we've spent time talking with the board of Dwell the last few months and praying about what lies ahead, a couple of things were really clear to us. Number one, the foundation of Dwell Church is strong, and it was begun with a vision to develop disciples of Jesus and equip and empower those disciples for ministry. We've had some conversations with Pastor Nate, Nathan Kolar, one of your previous pastors, and, um, and he just reiterated this, this vision, this heart um, for developing disciples of Jesus and equipping people for ministry. 
And the other thing is that we believe that God wants to now build upon that foundation, to see Dwell Church become a launching pad to send those disciples out into the world to begin a kingdom movement of reproducing churches. It's as if God today is saying to us, just as I have watched over you in this long season, Dwell Church, of uncertainty and of instability, so I will continue to watch over you as I lead you into a new season. We also believe that God has really given us a vision for what Dwell is going to be in the future. On the day of Pentecost, we read in, Acts, um, in the book of Acts, that there was a remnant of 120 faithful believers that had been followers of Jesus. They gathered in an upper room in Jerusalem to await the gift of the Holy Spirit, which Jesus had instructed them to do. And as the Holy Spirit came and fell on them, it says that they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. But that was just an evidence of what the Holy Spirit was doing. We love to, um, we love to place a lot of emphasis on the signs, the external signs of what God is doing, because they're powerful, and they tell a story about what God is doing and how powerful he is and the kind of work that he does. But what followed after the day of Pentecost was a movement unlike what the world had ever seen. The church was expanded beyond the borders of Jerusalem and into Judea and Samaria and beyond. And the reason that, we're, that you and I are standing here today is because those disciples and those apostles followed Jesus' instructions to make disciples as the Holy Spirit led and empowered them. They are the reason that we are here today is because they were faithful to the call that Jesus placed upon their lives. We believe that this is the kind of work that God is going to do through Dwell Church. But there are a couple of things going into this new season that we need to remember. Number one, this kind of work is only possible when the seed of the gospel is sown. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus shares the parable of a farmer who goes out and scatters seed all over the place in all kinds of different soil. And although he doesn't know how, it says he doesn't know how, when the seed is sown in good soil, it produces a yield of up to 100 times what was sown. And so as the seed of the gospel is sown, and the, the condition of the soil is not known to us, we don't know what kind of soil we are sowing into, but God is the one who produces the fruit, and it has a yield, a crop of up to 100 times, the scripture says, what was sown. The other thing to remember is that it is God alone who brings about the fruit. Our job is to sow the seed, take what God has given us, and do something productive with it. And God is responsible for the outcome. So as we respond in faithfulness, as we just do, just listen to God and just do what he's asking, he guarantees the results of whatever that thing is. If he's calling us to plant churches, all we do is be faithful to what he's asking us specifically in that moment to do, and he guarantees the fruit. He is responsible for the outcome. It takes a lot of pressure off of our shoulders. I'm going to close here in just a few minutes, and so I'm going to ask the worship team to just come and prepare um, for the response song. If there's one guarantee in this world, it's that there's nothing that's guaranteed. 
everything is temporary and, and everything is insufficient to provide all the security and the fulfillment that we need and that we desire to thrive. I don't know how many of you are in a place of uncertainty right now. But for those who are, I want to encourage you. Maybe you're in the entertainment industry um, or you're a freelancer and you know that that kind of work and the financial stability ebbs and flows with the industry that you're in. Or maybe there's something else that's happening in your life that you just find yourself in this tumultuous season that feels uncertain and unstable. But I want to remind you that your present circumstances aren't a surprise to God. He watches over you in your very best season, and he watches over you in your most difficult season. And his arm isn't too short to provide whatever it is that you need. You know, there are a couple of grave mistakes that Israel made over and over again. Number one, they forgot what God had promised them. Or they got tired of waiting for him to deliver on his promise. And so they, they sought what they were looking for in other people and opportunities that couldn't deliver. No matter how lucrative they may have seemed, they sought after an illusion of security that could not bring them real, long-term, sustained security. And number two, because they weren't consistently faithful to abide in God, they drifted and they forgot whose they were. When God led the Israelites out of captivity from Egypt, he led them with his presence through some really scary places. But in those scary places, he protected them and he provided what they needed. He was their provision. He was their security. So if you find yourself in a season where you feel like your life is unstable or insecure or just uncertain or you have something, there's this deadline or there's something coming um, that you feel anxious about or you feel like maybe you're entering a, a season of instability or insecurity. I want to encourage you, number one, remember what God has promised you. Whether it was a week ago or five years ago, remember the promises that he has made to you. He doesn't ever go back on his word. And number two, stay close to Jesus. If you're in a scary place, and you don't know where to go, make sure that you can hear his voice. Make sure that his voice is the loudest voice coming through. You may need to quiet the other noise in your life in order to make this happen, whether that's social media or negative feedback from people or just busyness. Maybe you need to quiet those other voices a little bit. At the beginning of this year, Josh and I began to feel that God would soon lead us into a transition. We didn't know how big this transition would be, but a transition in ministry. And one of the things that he promised us before we ever knew that we would be leaving our, our former season of ministry or coming here was that this year would be a year of plenty. That's what he kept saying, is that this year will be a year of plenty. And as I stepped out of my former ministry position and started doing some freelancing work, and as Josh has prepared to leave his position, and we, we prepare to come here, we began to realize what a huge transition this would be for us. We have remembered continually what he has said. And it's given us courage to move forward when it would really, quite frankly, be easier. It would have been easier to stay home, to find something local, 
But at the end of the day, we really felt that's not what God's asking us to do. And so we stayed really close to him. We remembered his promises. And we've said, all right, God, you got a lot of miracles that you have to do in order to make this happen. And we're standing in that place right now. We need him to come through. That's the best place to be, though. The Israelites, when they were leaving Egypt, they needed God to come through, or they would have all died in that sea or at the hands of the Egyptians. It can be a scary place. But being right in the center of the presence and the will of God is the safest place to be. It's the best place to be. God is speaking to you today in your circumstances. All the promises that he's made to you not just you as individuals, but us together as a church, you will see them fulfilled. It might be tempting to look to something else that provides a more immediate sense of security or stability, but I'm telling you, if that's not where God's leading, it's, it's an illusion. It's temporary, it's short-lived. And it may last for five, 10, 20 years but you will not find the fulfillment and the joy and the true security that you find when you have less, but you know that you are in the center of God's will. The security that that offers is permanent and it prevails in times of instability and insecurity. It's magnified in those seasons. So as we build and plant together, and these seasons to come, as we follow what God has for us to do and as, he, as, as we respond to simply what he's asking of us, we believe that God will provide the people that we need, the resources that we need, the blueprints that we need. And we know that he guarantees that his spirit will be with us as we follow him in obedience. And as you move forward, you as individuals move forward into your season of instability or you continue in wherever it is that you are, God will continue to provide at the right time and the right moment. The words of Jeremiah, while they're written to people of a very different culture and time, they're relevant for us today. That his covenant still stands and he has promised to be with us to the end of the age. Will you stand with me and pray as we close in this next song? Heavenly Father, your grace and your kindness to us are unparalleled in every way. We need you, Lord. We need to remember your promises, God. Would you remind us today the things that you've spoken to us in the past so that as we move forward into the future, we can do so with confidence, Lord, knowing who you are and knowing whose we are.